Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Week 12 edition of the Believe in Steelers podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm your host, Mark Bergen, joined as always by two-time Super Bowl champion and 12-year veteran of the Pittsburgh Steelers, Ike Taylor. Marky Mark, let's do this. Ike, we're recording this on the Monday morning following the Steelers' 16-10 to win over the Cincinnati Bengals. And off the top, our big takeaway, Ike, we have a quarterback controversy in Pittsburgh. I'm just guessing, and I think I'm guessing good on this, Mark, because I think I know Coach Tomlin pretty well. He's going to go with the hot hand, and it's going to be Hodges. You know, duck, duck, goose, and the duck <laughs> right now is Hodges. You can just tell by the city. You can just tell by the energy he brings coming off, you know, that sideline. You can just see he's in tune. Even though he's young, he's still in tune with the guys around him. You can see him dapping off with the receiver. Yesterday at the end of the game, you can just see he just gets it and understand. I think he's going to go with that high hand because if you look at it, they're back in the wild card race. So, and that's what Coach T, that's all he wants is an opportunity. And who gives him a better opportunity right now at that quarterback position? It's Duck Duck Goose. It's Hodges. And if you just go all the way back to training camp, since we're talking, I'm looking at Seven did say something about Hodges, and I'm meaning Big Ben Roethlisberger. He did have a pure mutual interest in Hodges, and now you're starting to see why. And to give the listeners a little bit of a roadmap to today's show, we'll answer listener questions. Also on Taylor Talk, Ike, you're going to be breaking down a big call in the New England-Dallas game. But with Hodges in the Steelers, the question that you have to ask yourself is which quarterback between Rudolph and Hodges gives the team the best chance to win moving forward. And Ike, this is something that we've said here on this podcast several times. Bringing a backup quarterback in is almost like bringing a sixth man off the bench in basketball. And Hodges was able to deliver that jolt in yesterday's game, completing a 79-yard touchdown pass to James Washington, ironically Rudolph's college teammate at Oklahoma State. But it was enough, and it was a play that really, really changed the momentum of the game. And it was able to lead Pittsburgh to a six-point victory. Did you see that stiff arm by James Washington? Beast mode. Oh, my Lord. But getting back to what you was talking about, Mark, I really do believe that they're going to go with Hodges right now. You can just tell, you know, from a coaching staff standpoint, that's where he want to go. Coach T is in a situation. And the situation is going above 500, not having a losing season, even with – Juju out, Connor out, A.B. gone, Le'Veon Bell gone, Big Ben gone, Mason Rudolph playing up and down right now. You can just tell how good of a coach this guy is. And we keep saying this week after week, and I'm going to keep saying this week after week, Mark. He's truly doing more with less. I don't know how many coaches who can be down bad. And when I mean down bad, down bad as in starters and, and we forgot pouncing down bad as in starters and superstars and still be six and five and in the wild card race in the NFL. Cause you got teams with starters. Look at Dallas. You got teams with starters that are six and five. Coach T has a lot of guys who are not starters or superstars right now in their six and five. To build on that point too, just think about this in terms of the team that you root for. If you're listening to this podcast right now, you're without, your starting quarterback, Big Ben, 
James Conner has missed time, the starting running back. Juju Smith-Schuster, the number one receiver. Ask yourself this question for the team that you root for. Would your team even be competitive? Seriously. Seriously, let alone above 500. It's unbelievable the job that Coach Tomlin's done, given the circumstances. And he even says this to the media, and I know it's kind of coach speak, right? Where he's going to try to get the job done and win the game with the personnel that he has. But truly, he has not made excuses at all with this team. And he won't, though, Mark, because that's just his personality. And Coach T really feels and believes this is why he gets paid, to do stuff like this. To have to be handicapped on a roster with your superstars who's sitting out. I'm even talking about second-string guys. So we can go down to the third-string depth chart for the running back position. We can go down to the third-string depth chart at the quarterback position. You can go down, if you want to, to the third-string at the wide receiver position and still coming out of stadiums and winning games. Consistently. Consistently, too. Correct. Correct, man. We look, I mean, we look five, at five out of six, five out of the last six. That's crazy. We look at Hodges now. We forgot Hodges did go to L.A. and play the Chargers and won that thing. So we act like we act like the man can't do it, of course. And we talk about these guys every week, you know, repeat offenders. I'm talking about Devin Bush and, and, and Minka Fitzpatrick. We talk about these two guys making plays, changing the game every week, and all they do is confirm, yes, I'm that guy. That's all they keep doing. It's like – the grass is green, the sky is blue, and Minka right. Fitzpatrick is going to create turnovers. For you. Yeah. Since so we want to rhyme. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, man, they just – them two guys, you know, that's just – that's the personality. Like, it's a little bit – it's a little mix of both when you want to come down to defense. If you want to go to that old school 2000 – Five nineteen seventy Pittsburgh still defense. You got a guy Devin Bush. That's his personality. If you want to go to Coach Tomlin's secondary, just look at Minka Fitzpatrick and look at Joe Hayden and company. So they got a good mix on defense. I can't even lie, man. This defense has been balling. When you want to say total points, I think they top five in total points. So that's saying a lot about what Coach T and Coach Butts is doing for that defense, but again, man, you just can't say enough on how Coach Tomlin is handling his team, given what he's working with when you want to talk about second and third string guys. Just the defensive trifecta of Fitzpatrick, Bush, and T.J. Watt on the line, and especially considering the consistency that T.J. Watt has played with for the early part of his career. I'm going to go out and say this, Ike. Because, and we always say this. The best ability is availability. Thank you. I'm going to go on a limb and say this right now. And I know J.J. Watt's out for the rest of the season. Mm -hmm. And he's struggled with injuries the last few years. Mm -hmm. But T.J. Watt's making a name for himself. Oh, yeah. And I think it's getting to the point where, you know, he's no longer just uh, J.J.'s brother. I mean, I think it's getting, he's getting over that hump right now. Mark, like you said. There's no more little bro. He ain't the little bro no more. Like, for real, honestly, if he can stay healthy, because that's been the only issue with the Watts so far, the health issue. 
if TJ can stay healthy, he's on his way of putting up big numbers because consistently that's what he's been doing since he hopped in the league. So, no, nah, he's not the little bro no more. I mean, he might be the little bro in the house <laughs> that came up in. But far as, like, on the field, you know, he's kind of coming to his own. So now you can start saying TJ or JJ, not JJ, little brother TJ. Ike, I want to go back to the offensive side of the football with the quarterback battle. And this is also something that we've talked about plenty of times on this podcast. Hodges gives the Steelers – He's much more mobile than Rudolph is. And not that Hodges is necessarily a running quarterback, but he's able to make plays with his legs where Rudolph is more your traditional stand-in-the-pocket kind of passer. And I do think that gives Pittsburgh another element. Now, that being said, aside from the touchdown pass where Washington ran most of the way, Hodges' numbers were still shaky. Other than that touchdown pass, he was 4 of 10 for 39 yards. He backed twice, and the Steelers punted three times, but they also scored two field goals, too, when he was out there. So, able to score on three drives out of his six series compared to Rudolph, who struggled. And Rudolph's been ineffective. If you look at his last 30 possessions, it's resulted in more punts, 16, than points, 13 and more interceptions, five, than scoring drives, three. So Rudolph has struggled, and I just think it's concerning considering Rudolph was coming off a four-interception performance against Cleveland on Thursday night football. That gets lost in the brawl with Miles Garrett, and he had 10 days because it was the Thursday night game. He had more time to prepare for Cincinnati, and this is a Cincinnati team that is now 0-11, They could become the sixth team to go winless in NFL history. I understand it's a road game. I understand it's a division, AFC North division game. But he had 10 days to prepare. 8 of 16 for 85 yards for Rudolph. And that's why Tomlin made the change to go to Devlin Hodges in the third quarter. Yeah, I mean, I understand why they did it. For that coaching staff and for that organization, they just right now at that quarterback position, the way your defense has been playing and defense has been balling out, they just looking for a quarterback to at least give them a chance. You know, right now, Mason just haven't been giving them a chance. Right now, he's just struggling. Hopefully, he can get himself out because you're the only person who can. Meaning, if you're struggling in the league, can't nobody help you but yourself. Your teammates going to be there for you emotionally, but physically getting on that field and making plays, you have to make plays and do plays yourself. As far as like being mobile between Hodges and, and Mason Rudolph, I don't I don't think it's that big of a difference. The difference I think is, Mark, that Hodges understands I don't have too much time to sit in the pocket. So he's going through his reads. If his reads are not there right now, he's taking off. And I think the only thing or the word I should use is being decisive. You know, I think right now Hodges is just more decisive on getting out of the pocket, trusting his reads, and moving on. And that's all you can ask from a quarterback position. Well, that was something that they mentioned during the broadcast too, Ike, was that some of Rudolph's passes were either late or behind the receiver. Is that something that you noticed too in in terms of Rudolph not maybe going through his progressions as quickly as as a quarterback needs to in this league? 
No, I think I think he's going through his progressions well. I think he's just kind of second guessing his throws. I think he's just not trusting what he see. Is what I want to say, Mark. That's all I want to say. He's just not trusting what he see as the difference in between Hodges. Hodges see it and he trusted. Gotcha. Now's a good time as any. If you're interested in advertising or becoming a presenting sponsor of the Believe in Steelers podcast, please contact the Believe Podcast Network at believe.com. That's B-L-E-A-V.com. B-L-E-A-V.com. Ike, we're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, Luminary, and TuneIn. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the Believe in Steelers podcast. Ike, one thing that the Steelers did do offensively is they dominated time of possession. And part of that was establishing Benny Snell Jr. on the ground. Pittsburgh held the ball for 34 minutes and 40 seconds out of the 60-minute game. Benny Snell Jr. also had a career-high rushing on 21 carries. He had 98 yards on the ground. Kareth White also got going on the ground. He had six carries for 43 yards as well. So Pittsburgh was able to establish the ground game, rushing for 160 yards, and that was key in terms of keeping its defense off the field while also holding the ball. And I think winning the turnover battle also helped in that effort and at least if you can say one thing about Pittsburgh's offense on Sunday is that being able to establish the ground game really helped them win this game in a game that we knew going in where points were going to be a premium well you know this is one of coach Tomlin's favorite words also Mark well phrases Mark is being able to run the ball in November December January and playing good defense that's what you got to do because of the weather so And right now, it's even more helpful for the defense because you got the guys actually getting rest on the sideline, not able to go through these three and outs, and I got to sit down, drink water, and then come back on the field. Now you're able to have a defense who can rest a little bit. Now you're able to get some play-action pass. Now you're able to control the clock. Now you're able to win what you said earlier, time of possession and win the ball game and just having a defense, and I'm talking like, you know, opposing defense on the field for a long time, it starts to take a toll on them boys when they just got to stop the run. You know, when you can't stop the run on defense, man, it kind of takes the soul out of you, you know? So now as a defense coordinator, you kind of press the issue because you want to load the box, put eight guys in the box. But now here comes a play action pass. One of the secondary guys, the linebackers, they got bad eyes because they're trying to stop the run and you got a tight end running wide open or you got a receiver running wide open. That's what the running game does to a football team. Ike, what I'm going to say here next, I want to preface that I'm not necessarily saying that Pittsburgh is a Super Bowl contender this year, but we were talking before the podcast today and you mentioned the point of the teams that typically win the Super Bowl from the last decade are all cold weather teams. I mean, just look at the last five years. New England, Philadelphia Eagles, New England, Denver Broncos, New England again. And so you have to go back to 2010 when the Saints won the Super Bowl. The last time a team from the South, a team that plays in a dome, won a Super Bowl. So when you say this, you hammer this point almost on every podcast we've had so far about the importance of running the football when the weather gets colder out. You know, if you just see who's won the Super Bowl, you see why that's so important. Even just looking back, Mark, to last year, 
and people always talk about New England, they passing game and how explosive they are passing-wise. But they got to understand, New England gets it. They run the ball. When they beat the Atlanta Falcons a couple of years ago, Mark, the second half, they ran the ball. See, the Falcons forgot how they was winning against the New England Patriots in the first half. They ran the ball. Now, if the Falcons would have kept running the ball, they would have been good. But New England just took their recipe on what they did to them in the first half and just returned the favor in the second half. Ran the ball. The last time the Saints, that was a dome team, so you said 2010, they was top five in running the ball. So you got to be able, especially in this cold weather, you got to be able to control the clock, like you said earlier, and run the ball. If not, man, you're going to lose. Passing ain't the key when it comes down to this December and January football. And I think another key to that, too, I mean, if you want to go back to the 2017 Super Bowl, the New England-Atlanta Super Bowl, down 28-3 to and not abandoning the run, even despite a huge deficit. And just how important that is where, you know, you think that you're up against the clock. You have more time than you think. I was there for that game, and I'm not a betting man, but I bet somebody that game. And I won a lot of money. I bet a Falcons fan sitting sitting at the bar. I bet a Falcons fan that New England would come back and win this game. And he said, bet his own. And it was for a good amount of money. It wasn't, it wasn't Atlanta Falcons owner Arthur Blank. I know nope, didn't he nope. go down to, <laughs> didn't he go down to the field and he was ready to celebrate? No, nah, it, it, it wasn't. It wasn't at all, Mark. I sure <laughs> did. But some guy had a nice little sweet man. And, you know, it was me and Maurice Jones-Drew. You know, at the time I was with the network. So, you know, I made, a, I made, a, I made some good money. That day, Mark, I will say that. I mean, I made some good. The man was a man of his word. He wrote me a check. The check went through and bada bing. Were you nervous at all? I mean, down 28 to all. three, were you just like, oh, man. Not a, not a, I, I see. I, I, I see. They've been there too many times. New England been there too many times to panic. Atlanta, they, they, that, that, ain't, that ain't really the stage for them. At that time, that really wasn't the stage for them. So, you know, that stage get too big. You can get too cocky. You forget now you got four quarters. See, they were just thinking two. They forgot they have two more to go. And that stage is New England just like, man, y'all ready? Yeah, we ready. All right, let's go. And so did you – can I ask you this too? Did you just – was it was it just a straight-up bet or did you – Straight up, straight up. Straight. If I'm doing anything, it's going to be 6 o'clock. You know what 6 o'clock is, straight up and down. Straight up and down, baby. Everything got to be straight up and down, Mark. It was straight up. No points, no nothing. We're just straight up. Well, that's the thing with the Super Bowl is they have so many different crazy prop bets that you can make right. in terms of, you know, what the color of the Gatorade is going to be for the game-winning coach or, mm-hmm. you know, how long the national anthem will take to sing. There, there's Every year there's a, a ridiculous amount of prop bets that you can make with the Super Bowl, and it cracks me up, you know, how, all the different things that you can see cameo appearances during the Super Bowl halftime show every year they have that so that that's why I asked that question yeah it's a lot of side bet I don't know if you ever shoot dice man but you know shooting dice is growing up man you got a lot of side bets on which number gonna hit so now they're just making it legal <laughs> they just side betting but from a legal standpoint yeah, I'll do some roulette sometimes. Uh, blackjack, too, I'm okay. I, I know how to play Texas Hold'em, but that, that rarely goes well. I usually fold, and then once I have a good hand, it's feast or famine. So let's go to listener questions now. 
J.K. Shelton writes in, what are your thoughts of two teams having to play each other twice in three weeks, rivals and division teams that hate each other anyway, and the last game only adds fuel to the fire? J.K. Shelton talking about the Steelers-Browns game this upcoming Sunday. Yes. Oh, man, it's right around the corner. It's a divisional game, so they kind of always be tough in the beginning. Usually the better team will take off in the second quarter. The scary thing is, since Pittsburgh lost to the Browns, they then went and won two in a row, you know, the Browns. So now the Browns are, I'm not going to say clicking on all cylinders or they looking like what we thought they would look like just from looking at their roster and personnel. You know, they putting up points. They playing pretty good defense. And this has been the start from playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. So. And also, it's a divisional game. And also, they had some turmoil and a little brawl at the end of the game. And also, you got a little beef between one of the receivers and the head coach. It's a lot. That's it's, it, One, it's a lot going on between the two in a 15-day span. Two, you got a chip on the shoulder from <laughs> a receiver feeling some kind of way about a coach. Three, you got the Miles Garrett situation, the Mason Rudolph situation. Four, it's a division, divisional game. Five, for the Pittsburgh Steelers, this is still playoff contentions. Like, don't forget now, like, they back in the wild card race, baby. <laughs> they, they right back in the wild card race. So they really controlling their own destiny. So it's going to be very important for them to win this ball game. And, yeah, we talked about last week. We hope the Pittsburgh Steelers didn't drop an egg in Cincinnati and be, you know, one of the first teams to lose against the Cincinnati Bengals, and they didn't. And I got a lot of criticism on the podcast. I don't think people kind of understood what I was saying. I was saying I hope they did not. They was going to lose. But at the same time, this is going to be another close, tough game, and that's why I think Coach is going to go with Hodges instead of Mason Rudolph. The Browns open as a one-point favorite, so it's pretty much a pick em in this game in terms of which team you think is going to win. Browns defensive lineman Sheldon Richardson wants Mason Rudolph to start for the Steelers, especially considering that Rudolph threw four very nearly five interceptions the last time these two teams played. In Cleveland, ahead of the Dolphins game this past weekend, there were fans outside of Cleveland Stadium, I believe it's First Energy Stadium, with mm -hmm. a Mason Rudolph pinata. And mm -hmm. fans were holding a Steelers helmet, trying to knock the Rudolph pinata off, kind of replicating the brawl that they had. Fans having some fun outside of the stadium. The joke is now that it looks like that Duck Hodges could very well start in this game, and that. Cleveland's not going to be able to seek any kind of revenge on Rudolph. In the aftermath of the brawl where dozens of players faced fines from the league, I'm fascinated to see how all of that turns out considering there seems to be some bad blood even in the aftermath of the brawl. And this is a game where take the brawl out of it too. Both of these teams need to win this game if they want to stay in the playoff hunt. I cannot underscore that enough. Winning this game, the winner has decent odds to actually make the playoffs, whereas SportsCenter had a graphic this morning showing 
whichever team wins this game has significantly better odds versus who loses. It's almost a loser leaves town matchup on Sunday. Yeah, it's, it's lose or go home for these two teams between the Cleveland Browns and the Pittsburgh Steelers. So I think it's, it's very important to both teams to win this ball game, but I think it's just more important just looking at where Pittsburgh is right now, you're in the wild card race. Like you're the last two that's in that wild card race. So, and you want to stay there and you want to hope somebody up top kind of loses a game or two and you want to keep winning. But it's just hard to get in the tournament and the tournament is the playoffs. You're in the playoffs right now if it was to start. So you just want to keep what's going on, that train moving by winning ball games and especially winning your division. I know it's going to be hard because you got Cleveland coming up. They're on the road. they hot right now. Or right now, if you just say, you know, the Ravens, they didn't took off. So they're in the playoffs in the AFC. Uh, so say just as long as Lamar Jackson stays healthy. But just coming from a Pittsburgh Steelers standpoint, man, those guys, they already in there. And it's hard to get there. And that will put the cherry on top of the ice cream or the whipped cream. So say that Coach Tomlin can say, man, look what I've worked with and look where we are. So I think it's just very more important for the Pittsburgh Steelers to win than the Cleveland Browns. Not saying any game isn't important. I'm just saying from Pittsburgh Steelers standpoint, it's important for those guys to win this divisional game. I'll counter with this, Ike. Freddie Kitchens. <laughs> For as much as he's been questioned this year, I understand mm-hmm. Cleveland is now on a three-game winning streak. Mm-hmm. And the Browns are trending upwards right now. Right. But considering what's happened with the Browns, still the most penalized team in the NFL right now, for me, with a lot of the decisions that Freddie Kitchens has made as a coach with on-field decision-making, and that's not to say he can't be a good positional coach or maybe a coordinator, some of the decisions he's made has been head scratching. And I, I don't know. I don't know if Cleveland say they don't make the playoffs this year. Cleveland headed into the season. Whether this is warranted or not, the odds makers had the Browns as the favorite to win the AFC North going into this season. Again, mm-hmm. they're not out of it. We've talked about how Cleveland has one of the easiest, if not the easiest schedule on the back half. Right. But th- this game both teams must win this game if they want any chance of making the playoffs. No, I, I agree. I agree 100%. I think right now Pittsburgh is in the, in the driver's seat on their destination. And that's just been the issue with coach Freddie Kitchens. Like I understand they lead the league in penalties. So that means they're very undisciplined, but at the same time, they still putting themselves in a the position to for us to talk about them being in a playoff position. You know what I'm saying? So you still got to give Coach Freddie Kitchens his props. From a Cleveland Browns standpoint, Mark, we talked about this like three weeks ago. They got to run the ball. That will open up everything. So, and that's what they've been doing. Um, Kareem Hunt has been getting a lot more carries. Now you got two dogs at running backs. You got Nick Chubbs and you got Kareem Hunt. And Regardless on the Ferraris and the Porsches and the Lambos you got on the outside, and we made this analogy too, you still got to do the pickup trucks and the dump trucks in the backfield. You still got to feed them boys diesel, and that's what they've been doing. 
And Cleveland is 3-0 since Kareem Hunt returned to the lineup from his suspension. Hunt also scored his first touchdown as a Cleveland Brown in the win over Miami. Ike, let's go to Taylor Talk. You wanted to talk about the Dallas game and a crucial holding call on the center in a game that New England won 13-9 in a game where points were a premium. Ike, the floor is yours. Yeah, so it was third and four. It was third and four. Zeke came out of the backfield. It was a crucial time. Dallas was on their way to score. That would have that would have tied the ball game up because I think the score was ten to three going into halftime. So that would have tied the ball game. And you wind up calling a holding call on the center. Now, from what I looked at, the center didn't hold at all. Actually, the center did something special on a special team play. You know how the special team guys are taught not to hold, but if they feel like they stuck in the pickle, kind of hold their hands up and just shield and put your body in front of the guy. I felt that was the same situation. So now it goes from third and four to like third and 14, third and 15. And the Dallas Cowboys kind of put themselves out of field goal, let alone scoring position. I felt like that was a crucial point in that ball game, that holding call right there. Now at the same time, I understand, you know, I don't, I understand how hard it is being a referee. And I like the human error. You know, I'm not too fond of these instant replays. Let's try to make this game perfect. I'm just saying at that particular time, that was a very crucial, crucial, crucial call. And for me, that was a human error. It's just, it's kind of frustrating, you know, seeing them kind of calls and, you know, them games right there decide on people's lives livelihoods, you know, wins and losses decide on, do I bring a coach back next year? Or do I sweep him out? Do I bring a, a, a guy who's 55th on the roster or do I change? You know what I'm saying? Like it's easier to make decisions when you're winning. You know, it's guys get stuck in pickles, GMs and in, in, in front office people, they get stuck in pickles when you get to losing. Of course you got to make those tough decisions, but, these calls and at the end of the day, the records cause you and make you and makes you create them tough decisions. So for me, it was just that call right there. I felt like that was the most crucial call of the game because I felt like he didn't hold one. Dallas was on their way or was trying to gain the momentum and getting in scoring position. And after that, they I mean New England. They just took off. Like, if you, if you don't score touchdowns on New England, field goals ain't going to win it. The Patriots' defense held the Cowboys' top-ranked offense without a touchdown for the first time this season. It was New England's 18th straight regular season victory at home. Shows you how hard it is to win in Foxborough. That's unbelievable. It's hard. And teams are starting to see. You can say what you want to about who they playing. You know what I'm saying, Mark? But just going against them boys and fuck. Hey, this is what I do know. Leave Gilmore alone. That's that's what I do more. <laughs> do know. Like if that man is around, if he's around the area code, don't even call him because he's gonna intercept. He gonna intercept that thing twenty four seven because that's all he's been doing. Like the interception he had last night. I'm like, man. For one, he caught the ball awkward, but when you just hot. That's what you do. So I think they targeted Cooper 
a few times. He might have caught one ball. Amari Cooper. Amari Cooper. Targeted did he catch twice. a ball? He did not have a catch see, in yesterday's see, game. See, that's what I'm saying. Like, when you got a guy who's just locking up and throwing the keys in the ocean, as in Gilmore, that's the kind of stuff he's doing. And I think New England, it's, it was big for them, too, to get back to – what they've been doing to be successful this season. And their defense really showed out against Dallas just because I know a lot of people wanted to take away, you know, Lamar Jackson played a great game against the Patriots, but take a look mm -hmm. at last year. New England won the Super Bowl last year and take a look at some of the games that the Patriots lost on the road last season. And again, honestly, with one loss, New England, it looks like, it looks like where we stand right now that, the Patriots will lock up home field advantage in the playoffs. And considering where they were at a year ago, to me, this team seems to be even better. And to me, they're still the premier NFL team. It's the New England Patriots and the Ravens and everyone else in the AFC. I think there's a lot of really good teams in the NFC, but at least in terms of the AFC, you have two top teams. This is something that we talk about almost every week, I and they just find ways to win football games. They just find a way to win. And a lot of times it doesn't matter the style either. It's finding different ways to win. Good teams are able to do that. Yeah. I mean, just with Lamar Jack, you just know he's special, man. You, I can't you wait just... to see what he does tonight on Monday Night Football. I think Joe Tessitore is just going to be <laughs> – yeah, I don't know he... if he's going to be able to handle it. What do you, what do you say? Did he say his, he, was, he wanted to give his – was it Seth Roberts or Robertson? He wanted to give Lamar Jackson, I'm talking about. He wanted to give him a touchdown pass because he's been blocking well the whole season as a tight end. Like stuff like that just make you want to play with the dude. Like he's, we talk about being unselfish. That guy's so unselfish. It's so contagious right now. Everybody just, everybody just playing for everybody right now. It's making the coaching staff be like, Whatever Lamar want to do, let's let him do it. You know what I'm saying? So when you got a guy that special and put his pride aside as soon as he walked through that door and it's like, what we doing? Not let's see what I can do, what we're doing. Man, that's special, man. You don't want to do nothing but play with or you don't want to do nothing but coach with a guy like that, especially at that position. I'm still waiting for the team to provide him a mink coat and a salad on the sideline like we talked about a few weeks ago. Man, I, I mean, get that man, get that man a purple mink coat and give him what I had last night, man. I had an oyster salad. I know oysters are huge in Baltimore. Get that man an oyster salad, man, with his goddamn sunshades on and let him rock out on the sideline. When he was wearing sunglasses, do you think defenders see that at all? Do opposing teams see that at all during the game, or is that something you see after the fact just because it's on the other team's sidelines? Man, you can't, you can't do nothing but respect that. <laughs> what, what you, what you, what you going to say? He, got, he has every right, the way he's been playing, really, he has every right to wear what the heck he want to wear on that sideline. But doesn't that, isn't that just like adding gasoline on fire? Like if I was a defender and it's like, well, you know, you have every opportunity to go stop him, but that would just absolutely infuriate me. Yeah, it would. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> you know, speaking, speaking of a realist and Coach Dick LeBeau, he'll be like, we'll make it disappear. If you don't like what they're doing on the sideline, if you don't like them getting up and dancing for a first down, 
will make it disappear. So the opposing defenses, they got to make it disappear. If they don't like that man wearing shades on the sideline, they got to make it disappear, man. We'll see what Lamar and the Ravens do tonight on Monday Night Football to take on the Los Angeles Rams. Like I said, I can't wait to see how Joe Tessitore reacts just because he's a really exciting announcer. I don't know if he's announced a game where Lamar Jackson's been the quarterback, but he gets really, really excited really, really easily. So I I can't wait to see what Lamar is able to do. And I I just don't know if he's going to be able to contain himself from the announcing booth tonight. Yeah, we're going to see. I mean, just look at us too, Mark. We getting excited. <laughs> we getting excited of this Monday night game about the Watcher guy. And I shouldn't yeah. even like the Ravens. But I'm a Lamar, <laughs> I'm a Lamar, I'm a Lamar Jackson fan. So I'm getting excited tonight just to see just to see what Lamar Jackson's gonna do because right now he's just a video game player. He's a created video game guy that's actually doing this in reality against other grown men. I love seeing the social media clips of him, you know, on the sidelines doing different things, a lot of the unselfishness that you mentioned, but also some of the calls that the announcers have. He had a run a few weeks ago and Kevin Harlan for CBS just, <laughs> it, I, I honestly think that kind of adds to the aura that Jackson has in the sense that, you know, in the social media era, you're able to quickly upload the highlight that he has and just seeing just the natural reaction of some of the announcers has been equally as fantastic as his on-field play. And to me, that really just adds to the enjoyment of watching him do things on the football field that we've really never seen before. When you got a guy that special, really he wants to pass. He wants to pass. He just so happened to be an explosive runner. And when we're talking about a quarterback in Lamar Jackson who is just smooth and can wiggle. So, oh, you got to be careful for a running quarterback that's going to take hits. He ain't been taking no big hits. Oh, I don't know if, if, if a running quarterback can win the Super Bowl. Oh, that, this one might be the first. Hang on, though, Ike. Hang on, though, Ike. We talk about this all the time. There's a difference mm-hmm. between running quarterback and a mm-hmm. quarterback. Huge, di- huge difference there. So, again, you always bring up Russell Wilson. Correct. There have been a couple other guys. I think you can make the same argument that Drew Brees is similar in that mold in the sense that he can move around, extend plays with his legs, still, you know, search down the field and then take off and run if that's what's necessary. But like you always say this, you always preface this whenever you talk about Lamar in the sense that he wants to throw the ball. He's still looking down the field. It's not just, okay, my first or second read isn't there. I'm going to take off and run. With him, it, yes, they have some designed run plays. They have some designed RPOs, and what I mean by that, run pass option plays. But his ability as a passer has significantly improved from 100%. his rookie season. 100%. It's, okay, it's just his style of running. Like, he's a running quarterback that wants to pass first. He just so happened, he just so happened to be very – very elite at running. But if you look at from his passing game from last year to this year, it's, he did a whole 180. So it's improved big time. I'm talking about placement. And that was the only thing. We knew coming in as a rookie, as far as like reads, you were going to be late in your reads. You know, you was going to see some exotic blitzes. And he got put in the fire 
at a time where we're going into the playoffs, where the Ravens was going into the playoffs. So what you going to get from the defense coordinator? You're the best shot? You're going to get the D.C. best shot because <laughs> it's, it's win or go home. And no defense coordinator want to be the first defense coordinator who's been in the league a while. Like, man, this record just took me out of the playoffs. So you're going to get, you're going to get everything. And what you do, you try to keep a quarterback like Lamar as a rookie to sit in a pocket. So you contain the edges, you push the pocket, you make them read. You can't do that this year. Because if you contain the edges and push the pocket, he's still going to make his plays because now his reading defense is more decisive. Now, once he sees that, now he's able to slide and move in the pocket. You see him dip in, dip out the pocket, but he's always keeping his eyes downfield. If you watch Lamar, Lamar Jackson, his holster is always loaded to pass. He's not having that ball to tuck and run unless he crosses the line of scrimmage. But if he haven't crossed that line of scrimmage, you can see from last year to this year, his eyes are always looking downfield. Mike, is there anything else you want to get to before we sign off here? No, baby. I think we're good. For Ike Taylor, I'm Mark Bergen. Thanks for listening to the Believe in Steelers podcast. We'll see you next week. So long, everybody. Peace. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.